Would you please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5? First Peter chapter five. We know God is, is sovereign over every detail and it seems like this morning as there's difficult news for this, this church body. Um, I, I didn't know that there was gonna be difficult news but, but God was already leading me to preach from this passage and it's all about suffering. First Peter chapter five. This, this whole book, First Peter, has been very meaningful to Christy and me this last year as we've gone through the Radius training down in Mexico. Um, because it's all about trials. It's about hard things in life. And we all have trials, every one of us. And Christy and I, along with everything that we're excited about and rejoicing in right now in life, we've had heavy trials over the last year. And I don't know most of you, but I know you've had trials or, or you're in a trial right now or, or you're about to go through a trial. And, and First Peter is for us here this morning. Peter is writing to believers who are sojourners or, or exiles. We could also say foreigners or outsiders. He's writing to people who are far from home. And some of us here today, including Christy and me, we'll, 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 we're gonna experience literally being foreigners in another country. But all of us here today who are believing in Jesus, we know the experience of being an outsider. This world is not our home. So this book is for all of us. We're pilgrims and sojourners. We're in 1 Peter. And I'm just gonna give you a little bit of background before we dive into this exact passage. Listen to what Peter writes earlier in the book about trials and suffering. In chapter one, Peter writes, you rejoice in what God has done, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, so it's not one particular type of trial, it's, it's a variety of trials, different types of suffering. There's big, life-changing suffering, there's, there's small, ordinary suffering. There's sudden, unexpected suffering, there's, there's long, heavy, drawn-out suffering. Whatever type it is, big or small, we have trials. This is the setting for our lives, this is the setting for Peter's letter. And in chapter three, you don't have to turn there, but... Peter writes, now, who, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. In chapter four, he writes, Christ suffered. So arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So this is, this is all throughout the book. And now we're gonna pick up in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. We're going to read to the end. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you. Who are in Christ. 
Peter is closing his letter and he wants to lay things out simply. He's not adding new information. He's underlining truths from earlier in the book. He brings back the theme of suffering that's been woven throughout the book. And he says this, our suffering carries responsibility and hope. That's the entire message this morning. Our, Our suffering carries responsibility and hope. And let's look into that. First, we're gonna look at how our suffering carries responsibility. It's, it's clear from this passage that we have a responsibility because Peter gives us commands. And these commands are our responsibility. But I, I don't want you to just see that you have a responsibility. I also want you to see that it's your suffering that carries that responsibility. So, so let's look into this passage. You, you might say, okay, verses eight through 10, I see the word suffering in there, so that's, that's pretty clear. You might ask, what what about in verse six and seven? And I would say, that's a great question. Those verses are also in the context of suffering. Let's, Let's read them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, sometimes we read that and we think they're two separate thoughts, but no, these these are joined thoughts in, in, in the Greek. As we look at it, we see that verse seven is actually a way to accomplish verse seven. Six, he's saying, humble yourself before God by casting all your anxieties on him. Peter expects his readers to have anxieties because he knows they have trials. He knows they're suffering in some way. He knows we are suffering in some way. Every time things go wrong, we respond and we either respond in sin or in faith. The saying that you might have heard is true. What, what happens to you is, is not your responsibility. Your response is your responsibility. And our suffering never just happens. It always carries responsibility. Now, now if, you're, if you're here this morning and you're heavy-hearted, I don't want you to hear that and, and be discouraged. Oh, I'm suffering and now you're giving me a responsibility. No, I, I want you to take heart. Your responsibility is not to be superhuman, your responsibility is not to be stoic, to just, to just grin and bear it, to just, just oh, I'm just, gonna, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna make it. No, that's not your responsibility. Our responsibility in suffering, there's two parts to it. It's to rely and resist. These are our subpoints. Our, our responsibility in suffering is to rely and resist. So first, rely. Brothers and sisters, we must rely on God. What does verse six say? It says, humble yourselves. This means rely on God. It doesn't mean get yourself into a perfect frame of mind where you cook up just the perfect blend of sincerity and and repentance and joy and peace and love for yourself. No, rely on God, whose hand is mighty. It's not mine. It's not yours. Whose is it? It's God's. Who can exalt you? Not me, not you. It's, it's God, rely on God. Well, then you might ask, when is God going to exalt me? When is he going to raise me up so I don't have to struggle anymore with all of the junk that's in my heart? And Peter says, I don't know. Seems like it might not be until after we're dead or when Jesus comes back. What I do know Peter says it's going to be the proper time and not one second before. He's going to exalt us at the proper time. So 
rely on God. Okay, how? How do I rely on God? Well, like we said, it's verse seven. Verse seven says, cast all your anxiety on him. That's, that's how we rely on God. Now, uh, when I, when I uh, first preached from this passage, it was at our training program in Mexico and we had a mix of a few adults and a few kids in the group I was preaching to. And so I, I had the kids come up and was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna practice what this looks like to, to cast your anxiety on God. So, so I want you to pretend you're really mad. I want you to pretend you're really sad. And, and then as you do, I want you to just say to God, God, I'm, I'm mad right now. And God, God, I, I feel so sad. Just, just practice saying those words. God, I'm, I'm confused. God, I, I don't really know what to do right now. And it's the same for adults as it is for kids. Cast your cares on him. Now, whether they're big ones or, or small ones or, or sinful anxieties or, or good anxieties, cast them all on God. You, you don't even have to have good aim. Just, just chuck them in God's general direction. <laughs> He's gonna take care of you. And this is what it means to humble ourselves. Rely on God. Now, if I'm going through something hard, which is most of the time there's, there's something that's heavy, then in some way I should be saying or thinking, God, this, this is hard. I need you. But how often do I fail to do that? How often do we fail to turn to God in the moment when things are hard? That's, that's pride. Now, I've, I've seen pride in my own life. I, I told you that for a long time I was like the Pharisee in that story, and, and then God gave me repentance so that I could honestly say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and here's what's happened over the years. Is, is I started out saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be, be merciful. God, do you, do you see this Pharisee over here? He is so full of himself. What, what is up with that? God, thank you that I am not like this Pharisee. My heart is so quick to twist things. Do any of you relate with that? And so even, even in my repentance, I can find a sick pride. And the only way forward is, is to reject that, to rely on God. Praise God that he's faithful to bring trials into my life, to expose my sin, my weakness, to remind me that I need to rely on him. That's your first responsibility in suffering, rely on God. Your second responsibility in suffering is to resist the devil. Now, normally when we think of Satan, we think of him as the tempter, and, and he is. He tempts us. But in this passage, tempting is not the part that Peter focuses on. Notice how verses eight and nine are actually about suffering. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Like I said at the beginning, Peter knows hard things are happening in his readers' lives. He knows those hard things are not just random. They're not just freak accidents. They're not, they're not just random chance. No, at least some of them are personal attacks from someone who means to do us harm. And that's, that's the devil. That's why Peter says the devil is our adversary. He's our accuser. He's our opponent. He speaks condemnation against us. But, but don't think that the devil is just a bully who says mean things to us. 
He's also a terrifying, dangerous lion. He wants to consume us. And his main tactic is to use suffering. Just like he, he tried to do with Job. You, you know the story of Job? Satan goes and he asks God, can, can I bring suffering to Job so that Job will reject you? And God, who knows the end from the beginning, he knows Job will not reject him. He says, Satan, Satan, I'll allow you to do this. So Satan wants to bring suffering to destroy believers. Now, for Satan, this is an unfortunate situation because his go-to strategy for devouring believers happens to be one of God's primary means for building them up. For us, that's good news. God is going to use the suffering even when Satan is meaning it for evil, God is going to use it for good. The only difficulty is it still involves suffering. So Peter says our second responsibility in suffering is to resist the devil. And there's, there's three little words that tell us how to resist the devil. One is by being of sober mind. Second is watchful. And third is firm in our faith. Verse eight says, be alert and of sober mind. This is the third time Peter uses this phrase in a pretty short letter. Three times throughout the book, he says, be sober-minded. And, and what does that mean? It means don't be drunk-minded. Don't, don't think like a drunk person. Think clearly, think truly, think right. The devil attacks with lies, so resist him with the truth. And the second way is, is to be watchful. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. Pay attention to what is happening in your heart. If God is starting to expose an area of sin or pride or self-reliance, even this morning, if God's revealing something, now is the time to pay attention. So, so don't say, I'm gonna worry about it later. I've been fine up till now, so I'm just gonna keep going. No, no, now is the time to be awake, to be watchful, to be alert. If God is revealing sin in your heart, this is a gift of his grace. So, so turn to him this morning. He's trying to wake you up. Don't hit the snooze button on the Spirit's work in your life. The devil attacks with drowsiness, so resist him by being alert. I'm gonna come back to this one towards the end because it's, it's significant in another way as well. Okay, the third way for us to resist the devil is to be firm in our faith. The way to be firm in faith is to remember that suffering is the norm, but that God uses it for his purposes. Now, now we are often unstable in suffering. It doesn't take much. Yesterday, Christy and I had to pick up a rental car and it, it took a couple hours to pick up the rental car. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that, that's, not, that's not much suffering. But doesn't it take us by surprise anyway? It throws us off guard. It throws us off kilter. It gets us thinking about ourselves instead of thinking about others. It happens so fast. The only solution is to recognize when we've been caught off guard and to turn to God and say, God, I, I'm struggling right now. God, I, I feel anger in my heart right now. God, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. God, this is hard. God, what, what is happening? God, help me. The devil attacks with suffering, so resist him by being firm in the faith. Rely on God and resist the devil. And, and of course, those are two sides of the same coin. If we're relying on God, that, that is resisting the devil and vice versa. This is our responsibility in suffering. And it's, it's kind of God to give us this responsibility for him to tell us, rely on me, cast your anxieties on me. It's a kind responsibility, but, but maybe it still feels heavy. Maybe you still feel in your heart like, I, 
I don't even know if I, I do a good job at that. I, I don't know if I can rely on, on God very well. I, I, I'd like to, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, if you're feeling heavy like that, I have, I have more good news for you this morning. How many of you would say, I, I could use some more good news this morning? Well, well, here's more good news. We said suffering carries responsibility, and the second part is it also carries hope. Now, every time hope comes up in the Bible, we have to clarify, this, this is not, well, I hope so. No, no, this is hope in what God will do. And because our hope is rooted in God, it is for sure, it is certain. It just hasn't happened yet. It's slam dunk, can't fail, but it's still unseen. That's, that's what hope is talking about. And because our hope, our certainty is grounded in God himself, our hope does not depend on ourselves. Yes, you have responsibility, but you are never going to make anything happen on God's level. Remember, he's the one with the mighty hand that we just read about. He's the one who will lift us up. He's the one who cares for you. He's the one who stops the mouths of lions, who has defeated the power of the devil. And now let's read verse 10. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The God of all grace. So, so it's not my power. It's God's power. It's not, it's not my resources. It's God's resources. He has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. This isn't something we can make happen. The, the, the glory of God is eternal and we just get invited into it. And that God says, after you have suffered a little while, I will restore you and I will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter is saying in this passage, if you believe in Christ, you're going to make it. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But Peter says, God's gonna get you there. If you're faltering, he will restore you. If you're unsure, he will confirm you. If you feel weak, he will strengthen you. If you feel like you're drifting, he will establish you. Now, we, we might taste more or, or less of this restoration in this lifetime, but God promises that in eternity, it will happen. Our suffering will not last forever. In fact, it's only gonna last a little while. And once God has set everything right, it will stay that way. Because, as Peter writes, to him is the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm tempted just to end there in the passage. That's, that's a good word, isn't it? I'm tempted just to end there. God will restore, and that's our hope and suffering. What more is there to say? Well, for Peter, there, there was more to say. We have his closing in verses 12 through 14. In these verses, he reminds his readers of a secondary element of hope, that they were not alone. God was using others in their lives. And the same is true for us today. We are not alone. God is using others in our lives. Let's read verses 12 through 14. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. If I can paraphrase, Peter's saying, I'm in this with you. Sylvanus, he's, 
in this with you. The church at Rome, Mark, we're, we're all with you. And back in verse nine, he told them, remember the same kinds of suffering you're facing are, are being experienced by the family of believers throughout the world. That's powerful. Christy and I thank God for the people who have, have told us we're with you. So, so we have people from our training program down in Mexico who are going all over the world and they've said, we're, we're with you. We have a band of brothers and sisters around the world. That's an incredible encouragement. We have, we have folks from our church back in Salt Lake City who are behind us. They're saying, we're with you. We have folks here in Florida on staff with GSI who are saying, we're, we're with you. We're in this together. What a gift that is for us. There's many more people we could mention. Sometimes being with us looks like an email reply from 4,000 miles away. Hey, hey, thanks for the email. I'm, I'm praying in these ways. Sometimes it looks like a face-to-face -face conversation. Sometimes it's, it's joyful. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it's joking around. Sometimes it's confronting over sin. In all of it, God is using others in our lives. And the same is true for you. This, this isn't just for Christy and me, where, where we get this like incredible encouragement. Now, I feel particularly blessed. We have an incredible church out in Salt Lake City. We have incredible people here who are, who are helping us. We're so, so grateful. But it's not just true for us. The same is true for you. Now, now maybe you know that. Maybe you look around this church and, and you feel that. You see, you see, God has given me all these people to encourage me and lift me up. But, but I also know I, I grew up in church and I, I didn't feel that way. Now, now, most of that was on me. Most of that was my, my perspective on it. But I, I didn't look around and I didn't see my church as, as a community of believers who were there to, to encourage me and build me up. So, so I wanna encourage you, look around and, and see this. Look for those opportunities. Don't ignore other believers. Don't just write off what they say. No, God's work in your life will almost always involve other people. Peter, who wrote this, he literally walked with Jesus. He, he saw the transfiguration. He saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. He never stopped needing people. Even after Peter had been leading the church for years, Paul still had to come and confront him. We read about that in Galatians. What makes us think we're different? We still need rebuke from others. We still need encouragement from others. This is our hope. First, that God will restore and second, that God is using others in our lives. So, so this is what Peter has for us this morning. We've seen from the text that our suffering carries responsibility and hope. So, so what do we do with this? How do we react to this message? Well, I wanna focus our applications back on two responsibilities. We talked about rely on God and resist the devil. So, so let's think about those two things one more time. Rely on God. There's, there's a book of prayers called The Valley of Vision. Are you familiar with that? It's a, it's a great book. In there, there's, there's one specific line that says, whatever a man trusts in, from that he expects happiness. So think about that. What, whatever a man trusts in, from that he expects happiness. So, so really practically, ground level, what are you expecting to find happiness in? Are you expecting to find happiness from having enough money or health or comfort? Those things can go out the window at any time. So, so don't trust in them. Are you expecting to find happiness from your relationships? Again, those can go south at any time. Instead, 
You should be expecting that people will miss the mark in how they speak to you and how they love you. And then you should be expecting God himself to satisfy you in himself through his word and prayer. Here's, here's a sneaky one. Are you expecting to find happiness from having the best approach to the Christian life? It's so sneaky. I slip into this way of thinking so easily, but stop Stop believing that you can maintain a sinless mindset before God. Instead, expect the Spirit to humble you again and again, to grieve you over your sin, and then expect God to be your true source of happiness. One more. Are you expecting happiness to come from, from getting, getting enough stuff done, from getting the right things done? Or are you expecting serving others to be difficult and tiresome and then asking God to give you joy in the midst of it. Rely on God. Second one is resist the devil. Really practically, how, how can we be of sober mind? Well, I wanna encourage you, take time today to, to recognize the hard things in your life. All suffering that we go through, all trials have an element of surprise. And what that means is we're going through life and we hit a trial. It's, it's so easy not to not to think about it or not to think about it fully, not to take that suffering to God. We just kind of keep forging ahead. I, I've, I've got to make it. There's, there's stuff to do. I, I got to keep going. And I would encourage you today, even this afternoon, take time to stop and think through what's been hard. Take time to sit down and, and throw your anxieties on God. And for some of us, this means paying closer attention to what our anxieties actually are. Casting your anxieties on God does not mean pretending like you don't have any anxieties. No, the verse assumes that we have many anxieties, so, so cast them on God in prayer. I'll leave you this morning with one final observation. There's a word in this passage that I have to imagine was especially personal to Peter. It's, it's one word in the Greek, and we translate it, be, be watchful or, or be alert. In some translations, it's stay awake. Now, think with me, why would this word be so meaningful to Peter? It's what Jesus said to him on the night he was betrayed. Peter had a close relationship with Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark. We see that in this passage, my son, Mark. He had a close relationship with Mark. It seems like, it seems like Mark wrote down Peter's version of the story. Mark chapter 13 ends with Jesus saying a few days before his death, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's what Jesus told Peter. The next chapter, Mark 14, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Peter wakes up in the body then, but he's still asleep on the watch because the next thing he does, he goes and denies Jesus three times. Mark's gospel doesn't talk much about Jesus restoring Peter. That's in another gospel, but, but Mark's gospel does say this. Listen carefully. Entering the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You, you seek Jesus 
of Nazareth, who's crucified, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, it says, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Even when Peter had completely failed, the good news of what Jesus had done was for him. And that good news is for you this morning and it's for me. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for your marvelous grace. Even your commands to us are are life-giving, but we so often fail. We so often fall short. God, you tell us to rely on you, to resist the devil, but so often we rely on ourselves and we resist your spirit. God, we we cry out to you this morning. If you're revealing sin in our heart, may we bring it to you. If, If you're showing us anxieties in our heart, may we cast them on you. If we're suffering this morning and we needed a reminder to rely on you, to resist, to take hope in you and how you will restore, God, comfort us in that truth. Thank you that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. God, you are merciful to us sinners. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.